and reading from Jeremiah chapter 29, beginning at verse 10. These are the words of the Lord. When a full 70 years have passed over Babylon, I shall take up your cause and make good my promise to bring you back to this place. I alone know my purpose for you, says the Lord, well-being and not misfortune, and a long line of descendants after you. If you invoke me and come and pray to me, I shall listen to you. When you seek me, you will find me, if you search wholeheartedly. I shall let you find me, says the Lord. I shall restore your fortunes. I shall gather you from all nations and all the places to which I have banished you, says the Lord, and restore you to the place from which I carried you into exile. And from Hebrews chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then come boldly to God's throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Thanks be to God. Verses 36 to 15. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town, who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him 
and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. I always find the new circuit plan a depressing document. Uh, the new circuit plan has on it um, the dates on which local preachers were put onto full plan. Um, those of you who study it, I think my date is 1971. Um, and as I was reflecting this week, I don't know why it came to my mind, um, I was taught to preach by a character called Bill Davies. The Reverend Bill Davies. Um, he taught me to preach in Harpenden, where he was based as a minister, along with a few other people, um, some of whom were come on to be ministers. Um, so he obviously had greater impact on some than others. Um, soon after, Bill left Harpenden, and Bill became Superintendent Methodist Minister of Prisons. And Bill, Bill Davies, for most of the rest of his ministry, and he was quite young in those days, um, for much of the rest of his ministry, spent it in the prison service. And I met him a few years later, and I said, what's it like doing this? And um, you were such a great minister, and here you are just with ministers, and just with prisoners, and so forth. And he was shocked I said that to him. And he said, it is a massive privilege minds changed and lives transformed. 
And that, of course, sums up the text for today, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then come boldly to God's throne of grace so that we may receive grace, mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And that passage from, jo from Jer Jeremiah had that echoing throughout it. Verse 11, I alone know my purpose for you, says the Lord, well-being and not misfortune and a long line of descendants. And throughout the Old Testament, there is this concept of restorative justice, um, evidence of God seeking to save and redeem people. In Ezekiel, before Jeremiah, we hear the warnings of exile and the people being taken away as prisoners. And in that passage from Jeremiah, we actually see the people in exile, the people having a horrific, miserable, ghastly life. And Jeremiah in their midst said, you need to see beyond this. Um, know what God's purposes are for you. A long line of descendants will come after you. There will be richness, there will be joy. God is your help. And for us, as we look at our own lives and the lives of prisoners and other people in society, are we also able to say that, yes, Lord, I can see that you are my help. Jesus, of course, took up that theme in his gospel. And throughout the gospel, there is the good news of the kingdom, in which even repentance is not seen so much as conscience, but as conversion, a new future, a new beginning. Not a guilty verdict, but the announcement of forgiveness. Christ and that wonderful gospel reading echoed it so strongly. Christ frees us from that universe of condemnations, of debt, of courts, of punishment, and introduces a new world of grace. Are we prepared to greet that new world? It was grace that freed Zacchaeus from his greed, the prostitute from her clients, and Matthew from his profession. The good news is just like this, your sins are forgiven. Not that they will be forgiven, but that they really are. It just requires this step of faith. And I say just a very careful and dangerous word. It requires that step of faith. Moving into this wonderful world where punishment does not inevitably follow sin, nor vengeance follow an offence. I read an article this week, um, again focusing on this theme. The Archbishop of York apparently told a story that came out of the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions in South Africa. 
a woman apparently addressed Desmond Tutu to tell her of her son's savage murder. And the police officer who had ordered the brutal killing was present, sitting almost shamefacedly, listening to the details of what he and his colleagues had done. And then there were some moments of quiet, and Desmond Tutu asked the woman if she had anything to say to the man who had killed her son. And she said, I'm really sorry. My sorrow is almost too deep. And I'm asking you to come now with me to the place where this happened, where his body lay, and feel in your world what I have lost so much of. I want you to come with me and to do this. And she said to the policeman, I'm asking you from now on, you will be my son and I will love you in his place. And her action really, as the Archbishop of York said, illustrates the great extravagance of our gospel. The church is at, is at its best when it has this great dimension of standing alongside the victim and also the perpetrator. The, restor the restorative justice theme that has been throughout the Bible recognises there is this dividing line between good and evil and it cuts through every human being. We are all sinners and we are all in need of grace. And we have to ask ourselves, how is the emerging church of which we are a part learning new ways of doing justice by building communities where acceptance and reconciliation is at the base. So therefore, my friends, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we too may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Boldly go where no one has gone before. Who can forget those immortal words of Captain James T. Kirk announcing his star-trekking mission? The writer of Hebrews, of course, recognises an even more challenging journey in his call to boldness. Today is Prison Sunday, and yet it is a journey that anyone can travel, especially in times of need, the journey to a God who promises justice, grace and mercy. Today we think especially of prisoners and those who care for them. However, we are also sometimes prisoners to thoughts and actions that we want to regret and this Sunday gives us an opportunity to reflect along with all those who through their own actions or the actions of others find themselves engaged within the penal system and those who work and volunteer in criminal justice and they keep travelling this path. Bill Davis said to me all those years ago Minds changed and lives transformed.
today is full of challenge for all of us. And actually following from Tim's sermon last week, how would we greet an offender in our community and in our church? Today, as we think of prisoners, may we also reflect on thoughts and actions that hold us prisoner. We pray and stand along, alongside all of those involved in the prison system. And so may we today dedicate ourselves to boldly go towards God's throne of grace so that we, like the saints of light, may, re may receive mercy and we may find grace, grace to help us and our neighbours in Christ in our time of need.